Alrighty, how's everyone doing this morning? Oh, that is sad. How is everybody doing this morning? Isn't it good to be in church? Fantastic. Welcome to all of our friends joining us online as well. I just want to say, uh, if, if you haven't met me yet, my name is Jason. I'm the Generations Pastor here at New Life, which means that I have the joy and the privilege, and sometimes, depending on how people are behaving, the burden of um, overseeing all of our ministries involving uh, anyone under the age of 18 across the life of our church. Um, and, and I just want to take a moment to celebrate that on Friday night at Youth, we baptized 18 kids. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was, it really was such a special and beautiful night and, um, and we like to invite family and friends along to those nights and we like put a little marker down here and this whole section was just filled um, with parents and people who have been involved um, in the lives of the people getting baptised and it was just so beautiful um, and so rich but just on behalf of uh, Everyone who serves in the life of our youth ministry or our kids ministry, uh, I do just want to say a huge thank you uh, for trusting us um, with your kids. Uh, and we just want to assure you that we're not just here to babysit or to entertain your kids, but we believe that God is moving in the lives of our young people. Uh, and it fills us with so much joy that we actually get the privilege and the honor to lead and disciple your young people um, through some extremely formative years. And so we do just want to say thank you for trusting us. Um, and it's not something that we take lightly. Uh, but why don't I pray uh, before we go any further. Lord God, we, we thank you, God, that you are just here with us this morning. God, we thank you that you know we got to have fun in announcements, that we got to see the life of our Kids Life team up on stage. And God, we, we got to worship with our youth leadership team. God, it's beautiful to be a part of a multi-generational church. And God, as we jump into Scripture now, as we jump into your Word, I just pray, uh, God, that you just prepare our hearts you still our minds if there's any distractions, anything that's going on in our world, Lord. I just pray that we can just put that aside for a moment as we jump into such a beautiful uh, and rich text. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So um, on Wednesday... My wife Sophie and I, we went to a wedding. It was lovely. We were invited to this fantastic wedding. Um, now, Soph is a wedding photographer, which poses a problem because then half of my point of contact is gone. So Sophie's there shooting, like, like photography shooting. I should clarify that. Um, taking photos at the wedding. And then um, the only other people I knew was the other person who was filming the wedding and then the bride and groom. So it meant that my uh, points of contact on that day were quite limited. And so we got there unfashionably early because Soph was there taking photos and we left late, which meant that very quickly I established the reputation as being a loner. Now, I know what you're thinking, this sounds tragic. It really is to the point where one of the bridesmaids came up to me and goes, we were wondering who the creepy guy was following the photographer. And it was, it was me, her husband. So I had to qualify that. Um, so everyone knew that I stood out like a sore thumb, a little bit embarrassing. But what else I found was a lot of people took pity on me for this reason. And so it meant that all the caterers really felt sorry for me because like this guy clearly has no friends. He's weird. Let's give him some food and keep him to himself. And so they would bring me food. It was fantastic. And I had these amazing sliders. Oh, it was just a glorious day on the food front. And then, then it got to dessert. And so like, you know, we had mains. Oh, it was amazing. Then we got to dessert and they start like bringing out all like these, you know, like fancy little small sweets. And you're like, I'm getting ripped off here. I want something big. And so anyways, so they're bringing these little sweets out. And then you just smell this aroma 
of ham being cooked and prepared. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, who has ham at dessert? Has anyone ever done that before? Fantastic. That's the same response in 8 a.m. No one's ever done that. You don't have ham at dessert. So anyways, I thought, I'm not going to eat the ham. I'm just going to stick to my sweets. And Sophie's like, I know you love ham. I'll get you some ham. I was a little bit embarrassed to get it. And then um, Sophie brings over this ham. I just got to be honest. I had the best ham in my life. It was it was salty, it was caramelised in something and before too long, the lady who was serving up the food knew what I was there for every time and she's just like, do you want some more? And I'm like, yep, I went to bed with a little bit of a tummy ache and so, you know, I learnt my very valuable lesson that gluttony isn't a good thing but, you know, I love this ham. It was glorious and all I've wanted to do since then is talk about the ham. I was talking to mum and dad and I'm telling them about my ham. It's just great. But I find that in our life, we have these little moments, these temporary moments where we have these experiences, you know, whether we're at a music festival or, or, you know, we're having a great conversation, we experience some great ham, like, I don't know what it is, but we have these experiences where we draw on those memories and we do it with so much fondness that we want to weave it into our conversations. It's like we're so excited to tell him, no, no, you need to try this ham. Like, you have to try this ham. But as I was preparing this week, I found it deeply convicting that I, as a Christian, I, as a follower of Christ, am more passionate about telling people about that salty, caramelized ham than about the good news of Jesus Christ. That the memory that I so often draw on is so superficial, so surface level, that although it may like wet our taste buds or wet our appetite, it's really not going to feed our soul. And so as we jump into this text today, as we jump into Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, we need to understand that Paul is right from the start drawing on a memory, not of salty caramelized ham, but something so much deeper. He says, when I think of this, this is how Ephesians 3, 14 starts. When I think of this, he's referring to the gospel. When I think of the power of the gospel. If, you, um, if you're new to faith or, or you're unsure about what the gospel is, seriously, spend 39 minutes and 41 seconds of your week watching Michael's sermon from last week. It is phenomenal and it just beautifully in-depth explains the gospel. But here's Paul drawing on his memory going, when I think of the gospel, when I think of all that Jesus Christ has done for me, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father. I love it. He, out of reverence, out of love for God, Paul falls to his knees. See, sometimes I think we read things like this and we think like, you know, did he have rickety old knees or was there no seats in church? But no, here's someone who has so much reverence, showing so much honour to God that the only appropriate way for him to respond is to drop down on his knees before the Father. So when I think of this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father who is the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. Uh, in some translations, it says every family in heaven and on earth. And if you were here two weeks ago, you would have heard that when we spoke about every family, um, everyone being under the body of Christ, you would have learnt that we spoke about the Jews and the Gentiles. It's kind of like the ultimate cats and dogs fight, you know, like they were at each other's throats. But then there's this beautiful moment where they are brought together by one thing and one thing only. And that's the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. And so here's Paul. I love this imagery. Here's Paul drawing, drawing on this image. When I think of this, the only appropriate thing for me to do is to fall to my knees because I am in awe at the fact that God can bring enemies together in his name. 
at the fact that we are now a part of one body, the body of Christ. Paul is brought to his knees. And I've got to be honest, I find myself so often coming to church and I'm more consumed about the idea of how yummy that salty caramelised ham was than I am about the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we walk into church on a Sunday morning, what are the thoughts, what are we actually thinking about? Where's our mind going? Is the gospel central to our approach to worship here at church? Earl McManus says this beautiful quote. He says, Perhaps the tragedy of our time is that such an overwhelming number of us who declare Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour have become domesticated or, if you will, civilised. It's a pretty powerful quote. Perhaps maybe some of us come here and we think more about the leg of ham We think more about the funny joke. We think more about the great coffee. We think more about the music festival. We think more about, we think more about than we do we think about the gospel. And I love that when we read what Paul says, when I think of this, I fall to my knees. And church, I just think that is such a beautiful image, such a beautiful reminder of the posture that we should actually take before our creator is one of awe and wonder and reverence. And then Paul goes on and he kind of shifts gears here. He kind of introduces in that way and says, because of this, I'm brought to my knees. And then in verse 16, he says, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. I love that. From his glorious, unlimited resources. So what, what, what Paul is saying here is, I pray that you are filled not with your own strength, not with your own capabilities, not with your own skills, not with your own, not with your own. No, no, no. I pray that you are filled with the strength that God gives you from the unlimited resource that is the Holy Spirit. Hashtag, it's Pentecost Sunday. Woohoo! This is a time when we should be celebrating the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Paul is saying here that the Holy Spirit is a gift that God has given us. And I think so many of us as Christians... I think so many of us have fallen asleep to the idea that the Holy Spirit is a gift and it's living inside of us. The Bible is so clear that those of us who acknowledge our sin, we repent of the decisions that we've made, we ask Jesus into our heart and say we want to enter into a relationship with him. The Bible is so clear that it says in that moment we are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not for the select few, it's not for some. But it is for everyone. We are all filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what prayer is praying for the people of Ephesus right now is that they would be reminded that that is where their strength comes from. From the Holy Spirit. From the unlimited glorious resources that the Holy Spirit brings to us. Then we read on. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. I love this. I love how Paul describes this. You see, when we read this, we've got to understand Paul isn't saying Christ will make his home at an Airbnb for one week a year when you can't touch anything. What he's saying is, no, 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 he will make his home in your heart when you trust him. The more that you trust him, the more that you let him in, Paul, uh, Paul, Jesus is going to sit in your heart. I just want us to think about that for a moment. Think about when we invite people into our homes, You know, it's that first time they they come into your house. It's that awkward dance of like, do I take off my shoes? Do I not take off my shoes? You know, it's kind of like it's awkward right from the start. Do I put my feet on the couch? Like, what's going on here? At our house, we have this, um, it's called an integrated fridge. It's a fancy fridge where it's hidden. And so people who come for the first time, I just go to the fridge and they're just like, I don't know where the fridge is. But I love it when people know our house so well that it becomes a home for them. It's like, yeah, they know where the fridge is. 
They know they can leave their shoes on. They know they can put their feet on the couch. You know what? We actually don't need to apologize that there's a mess around our house. We don't need to worry about any of that because instead of us being so concerned about these things, we're actually just so grateful that in this moment we are graced with the presence of our friends. That's what Paul is saying Jesus wants to do here. That as we invite Jesus into our hearts, what he is going to begin to do, he's going to put his feet up on the couch. He's going to help himself to the fridge. He's going to turn on the kettle. He's not worried about the mess that he has to walk over to get into your heart because he wants to be in relationship with you. And that's that's what Paul is trying to communicate to us here. And then we read on. He says, your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Once again, I just love the beautiful imagery that Paul uses in this prayer. This understanding that your roots will grow down. You know, this morning, I wanted to really test the integrity of this statement, like, how strong are trees? So what I did was, what any sane person does, on my way into church, I tried to shake the palm tree in the roundabout. True story, I did. I know what you're thinking. He's telling exaggeration. I'm not. I did try and shake it. And the tree didn't move, much to my surprise. But it's interesting because that tree, although it's standing there all alone in the roundabout, all vulnerable to the wind and the heat and what we call Gold Coast cold, which is just like Victorian warm, you know, like like it's susceptible to all of these things. And here's this tree, yet because of the root structure of that tree, it's not blown by the wind. It's not going to fall over when a storm comes its way. It's actually ready to weather the storm, weather the heat, whatever comes that way, whatever the world throws at it, that tree is going to stand firm. And so what Paul is saying here is, as you invite Christ into your heart, he is going to make his home there. And as he makes his home there, as you learn to trust Jesus more, the roots of your life are going to grow deeper and deeper and the foundation in which your faith is built upon is going to be stronger and stronger. So then one day, when the storm does come, when the weather does hit us, we may move a little bit, but we know that our roots are strong. I just think it's such beautiful imagery and such a beautiful way that Paul is praying for his people. And then we read on in verse 18, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide God's love is. Now, we're not just talking from the beach to Bermuda Street here. We are talking from as far as the east is from the west. For us to fully grasp, I love that Paul is saying this. I hope and I pray that you understand this. That God's love is so broad and we need to understand who he is praying this prayer to and what has just happened. The two nations have been brought together. The Jews and the Gentiles are now brought together in the name of Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying, no, no, I pray that you don't forget this. How long, I pray that you know how long the love of Christ, the love of God endures. It's not just a weekend fling. It's not just a fun little high school romance. No, no, this is a lifelong thing here on earth. And then the beautiful thing is we get to spend eternity with our Creator. In all of His goodness, what Paul is saying is, I hope that you understand that as long as you are here on earth, Jesus is with you. God is with you. The Holy Spirit is present in your life. And then one day when you are graduated to heaven, you are going to get to embrace God in the absolute fullness of his love. And then he goes on to say, I pray that you know how high and how deep God's love is. So whether we find ourselves absolutely peaking on the mountaintops of life, or if to run with the house metaphor, if we were to walk into our house and say, this thing is beyond repair. We need to understand that Jesus is going to walk in 
to our house and he's going to help us in any way that we can. For us to understand that God's love isn't conditional, it's not temporary, but it is, it is everlasting. And no matter where we find ourselves on this scale, Paul is praying he hopes that we understand that God loves us. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. I love this. May you experience the love of Christ, even though it is too great to fully understand. You know, we can kind of read that and think, is Paul being a bit patronising there? Like, is he calling me a bit of a nuffy? Like, come on, I think i got a pretty good reel on it. But how beautiful is it to understand that God gives us just a snippet, just a little taste a little sample of just how rich, how deep, how true his love is and that that is enough to sustain us here on earth. Francis Chan says this quote, I love this. He says, if my mind is the size of a soda can and God is the size of the ocean, it would be stupid for me to say he is only the small amount of water I can scoop into my little can. God is so much bigger and so far beyond our time encased, air, food, sleep, ham-dependent lives. I love that imagery. I love that. The God's love. God is the size of the ocean and here we are as humanity with our little cans. But this is enough. This is what is going to sustain us. And what Paul is saying here is it's okay. It's okay that you don't fully understand the whole ocean, but what you've got in your hand is going to be enough to sustain and to nourish you and to light your heart on fire. I love the way that Paul is praying this prayer. And then he says, then you will be made complete with all the fullness and the power that comes from God. And then we sort of shift gears a little bit. Now, all glory to God. I love it. As if it's not clear enough from us, Paul, he just keeps saying, no, no, the glory's God. God's the strongest. God's this. God's that. He keeps reminding us. It's almost like we as humanity, sometimes we forget that. But all glory to God. All of this is because of God. All of the work that we've seen in the church of Ephesus is the work of God. So now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. You know, I love, I love reading this. And this week, as I was sitting in this, this was the bit that I actually found the most challenging. As I read this, I, I was scratching my head thinking, gee, I don't know. I, I, I just think there's something in me there's something in us. You know, I've been, I've been working here at New Life for seven years now and I've been walking with God for quite some time. And, and, and the stories that I hear, it almost seems like what happens. Now, once again, if this is not your story, thank God for that. Genuinely thank God for that. But, but what I hear is there's this experience of when, when someone comes to know God, it's like their, their heart is on fire for God. And what they're doing is, is every time they walk through a park, they're praying, God, I just pray this person comes and asks me why I'm different so then I can tell them all about God and how much God loves them. And, you know, God, I pray for this opportunity. I pray for this opportunity. And then we find over time what ends up happening is, is instead of praying for people at the park, we just end up praying for a car park. And it's like our faith which was once so real and so vibrant that we believe that God could do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, now just kind of turned into this. It's almost like our faith has grown a little bit tired. And it's interesting because there's actually some research that will suggest that this train of thought is actually scientifically aligned. See, there was a test that was done many moons ago where they tested the divergent thinking 
of different age groups. Now, if you're like me and you're like, what does divergent mean? You are not alone. So let me give you the JLT, the Jason Living Translation of what the word divergent means. It means coming up with new ideas, really plain and simple. So they tested different groups to see how well they could come up with new ideas. And they asked a bunch of five-year-olds, you know, they tested them and they found out that 98% of five-year-olds were ranked at a genius level of divergent thinking. 98% of five-year-olds ranked at a um, genius level for divergent thinking or, in the Jason Living translation, coming up with new ideas. But then by the age of 10, it drops to 30%. So by the age of 10, only 30% of people still rank at a genius level of divergent thinking. But then we go on. By the age of 15, it drops to 12%. We're seeing a pattern here. We're seeing a slow decline. But then the heartbreaking thing is that by the age of 31, I'm not there yet, so hopefully I'm still in the the younger percentage, but by the age of 31, only 2% of the population are geniuses in divergent thinking. And you see, I think so many of us, this actually rolls into our walks with God. I think so many of us just over time, that creative thinking around God can do immensely more than we could ever ask or imagine, just slowly just begins to deteriorate slowly and slowly. Um, Anna and I recently, Anna's our young adults and small group pastor, uh, we recently caught up for um, a health check on the life of the small group that I lead. Um, And it was quite an interesting, humbling moment Uh, As Anna and I chatted and we spoke about the spiritual health um, of my small group and we actually realised that the leader of that group wasn't doing a very good job. In fact, the leader of that small group, in so many ways, the idea of thinking that God can do immeasurably more than we can ask or think had turned into such a reality. So much so that um, after catching up with Anna, I really felt deeply convicted about this. And so I went to our small group and I just said, I am so sorry. I have failed you as a small group pastor. Quite embarrassed about saying it, just humbled myself before our group and said, no, I've failed you. For once, we would pray with intention and with heart and with passion. We would would be brought to our knees at the thought of the gospel. And it seems like now as your small group leader in our small group that we're settling about talking about ham. Somewhere along the way, we'd lost it. And and, and for me, it it was a really humbling moment to actually look and go, wow, this is so easy for me in my life to just slowly deteriorate in believing that God can do immeasurably more. Because I began to tell myself, oh, it's all right, like, you know, they'll get prayed for at church or this will happen at church or this will happen there or this. No. I hadn't I got it so wrong. But in that moment, God's faithfulness, once again, in this moment, God reminded me just how faithful and how good He is. In this moment of me humbly bearing myself before our small group, I had clothes on just to clarify, bearing my heart before everyone. So I thought someone's going to come up to me afterwards and say, you shouldn't have said that. So I thought, I'll clarify it. But here I am before our small group saying, hey, this is, this is who I am, warts and all. I've failed you guys. And then I just heard this voice from the Holy Spirit say to me, 
You've got, a, you've got a vision for each of these people. You believe that God's given them all gifts and you need to call it out. And so like any faithful Christian in that moment, I just spoke louder and just tried to drown out the voice of the Holy Spirit. And then I just kept hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, no, 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 you need to do this. And then the worst bit was there was someone in our group who'd only been to our small group twice. It was their second week. And all I knew about them was that they made really good brownies. Like that was kind of the depth of that, that relationship at that point. But I thought, you know what, I've got I to gotta live this out. The Holy Spirit's voice was so strong in that moment. So we went around and I just began to say, hey, I believe that God's got this on your life. I believe that God is calling you to this. And it was this moment where here I was just saying like, I'm sorry. I haven't led you well. And then to my surprise, God in that moment did immeasurably more than I could ask or think. Here I was thinking I was going to get roasted for being a dud small group leader. And then we see the Holy Spirit at work and start calling out things. And in our small group of people, there was people who who have been sitting on the fence, scratching their head going, I don't know, have I got what it takes to disciple someone? And I'm like, yes, you do. Let's see that fall into place. You know, we had people who are studying currently who feel called to go out and use their professions in rural areas, not to try and fulfill their two-year placement to then come back to a city, but actually cement themselves in a rural community where they know that God needs them. We had people in our small group who, who are in the corporate world and they know that God has placed them there to shine the light of Christ, to write a completely different narrative that is written so often in the corporate world. God can do immeasurably more than we can ask or think. I think what we need to do, church, is we need to start stepping out in faith. We actually need to begin to believe that God can do immeasurably more than we ask or think. So often, so often it's just that little voice, that Holy Spirit voice in our head that says, hey, I think you should. Or have you thought about asking that? Or have you thought about doing that? And I can tell you, hand over my heart, it is terrifying. I still, I still try and avoid it, as I just said. But it's those moments when I actually respond to the Holy Spirit and I just follow that prompting and I'm, I'm often terrified the whole way through it. But I just know that the Spirit's got it and it's just so beautiful and so rich to see that. And then Paul just finishes like this. He says, glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Glory to him in the church. Glory to God at new life. And in Jesus Christ through all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know, I love that we get to have a generation Sunday. I love that we get to celebrate our kids' life leaders, our youth team. I love that in a few weeks' time we're going to celebrate our Crossroads community. I love that we are a part of a church that just has so many generations. But Charles Swindle says this quote, and it kind of, it almost brings it back down to reality for us. He says, The community of faith is the very place where we are most likely to experience the free life. It's also the very place where we are most in danger of losing it. pretty convicting the place where people are most likely to experience the free life but then it's also the place where they're most likely to lose it you see I know for me in my life and I can't speak on your behalf but I know for me in my life far too often as I walk down the little palm tree thing 
into our building, open up the gates. I'm more concerned about the salty ham than I am about my posture of prayer. I know that I'm more concerned about what I got up to on the weekend or having this funny joke to tell someone. I'm far more concerned about these things than actually drawing on the truth of the gospel. And this week, as, as I was praying over this service, I was trying to work out, I'm like, God, where, where are we leading? Where are we going with this? I just felt God say to me, just simply, what if we prayed like Paul? What if we prayed like Paul? What if when we came here on a Sunday morning, what if we were so engulfed in the truth and the love of Jesus Christ that we were brought to our knees before God? What if that seemed like the only responsible response or an adoration of God to say, thank you so much for all that you've done? What if we were brought to our knees? What if we prayed for the people in this church community the way that Paul prays for the people of Ephesus? What if we prayed that Christ would make his home in people's hearts? That the roots of their faith would just go down so deep that whatever weather the world throws at them, we know that they're not going to topple over. What if we prayed that people just got a glimpse of how good God is? What if we actually believed that God can do immeasurably more than we can ask or think? I guarantee you, this church would feel like a different place. This church would look like a different community because we would no longer come to church. And I'm as guilty of charge as this. You know, during worship, it's kind of like the one eye open or, you know, you do the the squint so then you can still see what's going on, but people think you're praying. You know, you do the half-mast wave with the the worship. You don't want to go all the way because that's weird. You You know, see someone come down the front for prayer and you're like, oh my gosh. What happens if that wasn't that case? What happens if instead of that we were celebrating that someone was brought to their knees because of the goodness of God? What happens if people were so full and rich with the love and grace of Jesus Christ that the only thing they could do was raise their hands in worship, shout songs of praise? What would happen, church, if we prayed like Paul? Bobby Houston says this quote, and this is where about I want to leave us this morning. Bobby Houston says, let prayer do the heavy lifting. And I love that. New Life Church, church family, let's let prayer do the heavy lifting. Let's begin to pray like Paul. And let's see what God does with that. Let's pray. Loving and gracious Father, God, it is... It's a beautiful thing when we grasp the concept of your love, when we just begin to understand. And God, I pray, just as we still our hearts for a moment, as we just settle, and God, we actually draw on that memory of maybe when we encountered your love for the first time or maybe an experience that we've had. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you you just speak to us.
think we might have a word for um, some people here this morning. And what I'd love for us to do is just, if we can, inside this room, if we can just keep our eyes closed and keep our head down. And the reason I say that is because God's doing something. And sometimes this is a really intimate moment between someone and God. And the worst thing that we can be doing is, you know, getting out the binoculars and trying to watch what's going on. And so I just ask if you just honour and respect what's going on around here. But, but I really get a sense that there's, um, when, when I spoke about the, the, the um, divergent thinking, the idea of like us believing that God can do immeasurably more than we can think or ask, I actually got a sense that there were some parents in this room who were worried about the, the faith, the spiritual health of their children. And so if that's you, if you, you know, if you heard that and something in you just kind of triggered, I just get a sense there's a couple of people in this room who are worried about the spiritual health of their children. Could you just put your hand up for a moment? pray for those people right now who who raise their hands. God, whether they're sitting in a living room right now or they're sitting inside this auditorium. God, I just want to pray that right now, God, your peace just washes over those parents who right now are worried about the health, the spiritual health of their children. God, what a beautiful thing it is for a parent to be worried about the spiritual faith of their child. And God, I just want to pray that for anyone who put their hand up right now, God, that you just meet them. God, I pray that this week you create moments in their week where there's a chance to share and talk about faith. God, I pray that this week every person who put their hand up, that you just orchestrate an only God moment where there's a chance to just get real and talk real about life and about faith. up, uh, I'd love, seriously, I'd love after this service to, to pray for you. I think, I really get a sense that um, some people need to come forward for prayer who put their hands up and that, um, yeah, we're just going to really be able to pray for some specifics. Um, and so if that was you, if you did put your hand up and you're like, I'm just not satisfied with that, that communal prayer, please come down the front because we would love to pray for you. And I really get a sense that the Spirit wants to move this morning. What we're going to do now is uh, we're about to, to sing another song. And, and here's what I'd encourage you to do, church, is we've just heard a message about the posture that Paul takes towards God. I got us to just sit and reflect on a moment or moments in our life where we've just felt God so present, the richness of His love just fill our hearts. And so I'd encourage you that in this moment when we begin to sing, reflect on that. Think about that moment it might actually be appropriate for you to come and kneel at the front of church. That might be what you feel God saying, hey, kneel before me. Then I'd encourage you to do that for you. It might mean that you raise your hands for the first time in worship. It might mean that you just sit there with your hand, with your head in your hands. We want to give you permission to move how you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you. Because I know that when, when we actually create these moments, when we actually respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and we think about worship, we embark on corporate worship together with the right heart, 
when we're thinking about the grace and the love of Jesus Christ, something special happens. And so church, I'd encourage you, why don't we stand now? If you want to come down the front and kneel, please, I would encourage you to do so. If you would like prayer, there's going to be some leaders and some pastors down the front and we would love to pray with you. We'd love to pray for you. But for the rest of us, why don't we in this moment, why don't we declare God's goodness? Let's draw on that memory of the gospel and let's begin to pray like Paul.